0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.
1: Designed for women, by women, Of Mercer is an apparel brand building a
0: community of women professionals whose combined voice is a very effective ambassador in the entrepreneurial world. Aligning with successful
1: executives, business leaders, influencers, and innovators, of Mercer has taken an effective and bold approach to the growth of the brand. Co-founder Dori
0: Smith recently offered insights into the brand's retail strategy so far and looking forward on another Mouth Media podcast, Retail is Your Business, and we thought it was a useful conversation for Fashion is Your Business, so we share that interview with you here now.
2: Enjoy. <music>
1: Hi, my name is Dori Smith, and I am the founder and CEO of of Mercer. What I love about retail is the way that the right outfit can make a woman stand a little taller
0: and speak a little louder in her workplace. From New York City, you're listening to Retail Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry.
3: Welcome, everyone. This is Chris Hansen from Ignition One. Ably manned today with my uh, guest co-host, uh, Kathy Sheppes, while Rebecca Fitz is out.
0: Hi, Chris. How are you?
3: Um, I'm great. Thanks for joining us. Good.
0: Happy to be here. Dory, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here.
3: So, of Mercer. Uh, I looked on the, the site bef- right before the interview, and I noticed a, a, some messaging that I thought was great, which is, of Mercer is an SFW. Uh, brand. Yes. So t- tell me about that. Is that just a fun thing to say or is it is it the core of the business?
1: It It is both. It's both. We try to make some humor in how we speak to our customers. But I think at the lifeblood of our brand is making clothes that work for work. And this goes back to when I was getting dressed for a conservative work environment. I really struggled to find clothes that kind of fit my personal style and made me feel confident, but then also were off as appropriate. And I think that was a struggle that, that I found and then a lot of my colleagues found as well. Um, we didn't want to look like the men, our male counterparts. We didn't want to also look like we were going out to a cocktail party after. And there's somewhere in the middle that was, in our mind, being missed. And whether it was inconsistencies with how brands – change from season to season. One season, it was amazing and totally suitable for work. And then the next, it was all mini skirts and low tops, or is out of my price range. So it was either one or the other. And we just wanted to find a place that could really suit our needs.
3: Um, And so we created. Does that create challenges having that focus? I mean, most brands would go sort of broader, like we're going to do things like evening wear and wear and casual wear, but you guys are going just keeping keeping the focus.
1: Yeah, we're keeping the focus. There are tens of millions of women who go to an office every day, and I am not pretending they all wear suits. I know they don't, but most of them are not wearing pajamas. They're not wearing leggings and a sweatshirt. They're wearing. You haven't been in my office. I, you're wearing a button down, so the yeah, girl equivalent of that is uh, untucked button is yeah. is not sweatshirt. So, you know, whether it's you're wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a blazer on top, or you're wearing a t-shirt and some slacks, women wear clothes that are not totally casual. And more than that, they need somewhere where they they feel confident they can find that. I think the other thing that is important is as a brand that's dedicated to working women, you kind of get them in a mindset. So they are thinking about work, they're thinking about their big meeting, they're thinking about how they feel more most confident and most powerful. And honestly, it's distracting to go to a store that has everything else. So and I remember this from from when I was shopping for my work clothes. I'd go to Bloomingdale's and I'd go in thinking like, okay, let's buy like a navy sheath dress and a great cardigan. And I come out with like three party dresses because it's it's not that fun to buy work clothes. It's not that exciting. And I'm not here to pretend it is. But if you get the women in the right mindset where they're they're coming, they're saying, I need to feel great at the office. I have a big promotion coming up. Then she's going to be really excited to to try on our stuff.
3: I mean, I, I struggle with this, but I mean, I'm a guy, so we struggle with everything I think having <laughs> to do with fashion. But, you know, we had somebody on recently talking about tailored men's suits yeah. and how that actually changes that concept of putting on a well fitting suit. It's just the concept of putting, I mean, even as a guy, putting on a suit, you go in a different mind state. Yep. Yep. Uh, putting on a tailored suit, you know, the idea is now you're even going to stand up taller, yep. you're going to stand up straighter, you're going to have a little bit more of a swagger. Um, do you find, is have you found that with the women that you're working with?
1: Absolutely. And, and there's science behind that. There's science behind, there's a great study, and this is a bit different than workwear, but Um, scientists who wore a lab coat actually performed better than those who did not. So it was something about kind of putting on your uniform and going to do the job that that uniform dictated that actually made you better at it. And there's a lot of research around this and the confidence and you, you speak with more authority, you're more productive. And then anecdotally, we get emails every day that are like, you guys, my suit was perfect for that board meeting or for my interview or you know, whatever it was that they needed to really feel their best for. We hear that every day, and it it honestly is the most rewarding part of
0: my job. So, Jory, maybe just for the audience, talk some about the assortment of product yep. um, that you're offering, as well as the fabrics and what you think is fantastic about the fabrics and its properties and so mm-hmm. on.
1: Yeah, definitely. So in terms of fabrics, we really try and focus on things that are – easy. So when I was in consulting, I traveled all the time. So wrinkle-free was super important to me. I'd get on a flight at 6 a.m. and have to go straight into the client site. I needed to look good. I didn't get have time to go home or to the hotel and steam my clothes. So wrinkle-free has been really important. Um, having pockets is really important. So this is, again, kind of thinking about women in the workplace and the gendered the gendered issues that women have. If you're walking around your office, men are wearing suits or if they're just wearing pants, they have somewhere to put their pocket, their, their We have phone. an abundance
3: of pockets. I <laughs> always forget that. And I, I, I give my wife a lot of crap like because she right. can never find her phone. Yeah. But here I am with like eight pockets on me exactly. at all times.
1: So your business cards are in one of them, your phone's in the other, the wallet's in the other. And then I just remember seeing girls walking around the office with like a stack of stuff. And you, you know, in our office, you couldn't get from floor to floor without an ID card. So little things like that, you're at a cocktail party, you're networking. You don't want to hold your business cards, but you also don't want to lug around a purse. So having pockets that are easy access for um, women to hold those things is really important for us. In terms of silhouettes, we focus really on classic styles, so dresses, blazers, pants, tops, knitwear – Everything is appropriate for someone's office. I'm not saying that our most casual piece works for a lawyer who's going to court. I also know that people in creative industries probably won't wear the full suit. Um, So it really ranges from anyone who's in business formal to business casual or women who just want to feel extra polished. So actually, as I was leaving the showroom this morning, a woman came in looking for a suit. She doesn't work. She was looking for a suit for her son's bar mitzvah. So she just wanted to find a like chic appropriate outfit and not spend, you know, thousands of dollars on it.
3: It's so Great. funny. I actually think it's 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 crazy to me. Like I don't know if we figured out how to blend the practical with sort of like fashion. Work work fashion. I mean, I was just thinking about it. you were talking about getting on a six a.m. flight, and I'm thinking about getting on a six a.m. flight and then landing in Europe. Like mm-hmm. I, this has happened to me so many times where I get in Europe and I'm like oh damn they don't have irons in yeah. hotel rooms and and you're just like how 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 haven't I figured this one out and how haven't they figured out how to make something where I don't need to get an iron the practicality of it still hasn't caught up
1: And and to be totally honest we we see some of our customers loving that that those technical fabrics but often they're not natural fabrics. It's you know really technical Japanese fabrics that have polyester in them and elastane and things that aren't natural. So then we get to the flip side, which is I want an 100% wool suit and an 100% silk shirt, which we can also offer. But you know you just need to be really communicative with your customer about how to find which pieces are right for her.
3: And how how has that been? How how do you how do you actually communicate with them? Is is this? Is this a process that you guys have figured out? You're still trying to crack?
1: I think you're always trying to crack it. I think we have erred on the side of more information is better because of people who have strong preferences like that. So not everyone cares what a a, a dress is made of if it feels nice. The ones who do know, kind of know what information they're looking for when they go to a product page or when they come into your store and they flip up to look at the fabric content. Um, so, you know, we – as you know, in an efficient manner, try
0: and give them as much information as we possibly can. So with On Mercer, how are you finding customers? Are you um, doing what you might consider unique things now, like going to networking events or collaborating with different other brands? Like, what are you doing to bring customers in?
1: Yeah, we try to really target our customer where she is and when she's in that workwear mindset so we do a lot of corporate partnerships so we'll host events regularly for banks and law firms who are trying to do offsites for their women who just need a space to kind of convene that's not the office where they're in a glass conference room and everyone's looking at them one other interesting thing and the way we've partnered with people is we'll have People from HR reach out to us and ask us to come and talk about dressing appropriately. And this is something that we've seen, especially with the younger generations, um, of just not quite knowing what to wear. Again, because there's been this casualization in, in our fashion, women would show up on the trading floor in Lululemon leggings um, <laughs> And they want to make sure their women hear them loud and clear, but it's also not an internal issue where the HR people are coming and yelling at the the new recruits. Um, so we've gone into a number of of different organizations and had those conversations about what's appropriate, what's not, what you should look for when you're buying, how to, how to shop on a budget, how to take your college clothes and turn them into work-appropriate clothes. The most interesting one we did like that was actually – one of the New York professional sports teams had us come in. And, I mean, I won't tell you which one it is, but there are
3: only five or six. Female professional sports teams. Male. Male.
1: And so what was happening was they were having these really young women not know how to dress because no one had taught them. I mean, it's not a class in college, like, here's what you should wear. They were wearing really inappropriate things, and they were around these – machismo (laughs) athletes all the time so there was this nothing had happened there was there were no issues everyone had been very respectful but you see hr like holding their breath just waiting for something bad to happen because you know you're you're kind of putting two things together that shouldn't be there and we went and had a great conversation with them just because they had – and they had really thoughtful questions because they had never been taught that. You know, things like, can I wear an off-the-shoulder – a cold-shoulder top? And I was like, nope. No, you cannot. So that – you know, in their mind, that just crosses out part of their wardrobe for when they're getting dressed every morning. And they never had an opportunity to have that conversation. Strong HR there.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: You know, there was an article um, in the Times, and it was talking about how 9 to 5 has changed and how, um, you know, people are working from home and all different kinds of flexibility. So I guess that's really the situation with those girls, right? right? They never really had to dress for anything.
1: Exactly. And as a business, you know, people say that, and they're like, aren't you worried? But there's still so many millions of women going to offices every day. And there's so many brands that have exited this market that it it's – a very big opportunity for us.
3: So how how so let's talk about the opportunity. How how big is the business? It's is it primarily e-com now, all online or what's the physical? Yep,
1: yeah, so we are um about 70% e-com and that's intentional. That's the way we see the most growth happening the fastest and the cheapest. We have started doing a little bit of wholesale. We call it strategic wholesale so we work with People like Rent the Runway and Stitch Fix, and I'm happy to talk about that at length. They were very strategic decisions we made. And then about tw- 10 to 12% is offline at the moment, and that always changes quarter to quarter depending on – if a pop up is open, or if our, we have two showrooms going at once, so it's kind of dependent on where we are. So the, the brick and mortar
3: strategy right now, pop ups and and yep. uh, experiential sort of exactly. retail.
1: Yeah, and I think we, when things are successful, we always look for a more permanent solution. Um, that doesn't mean we find it. So, for example, we had a pop up in DC, in Georgetown, and it was it was successful on its own, but in the six months. During and after that, our e-commerce sales in D.C. went up 40%. So we see so much lift in the right market. Now, I would say we did a Boston pop-up and we saw a lift of 10%. Interesting. So. We kind of get all that data and then decide based on that what we want to move forward.
3: Do you have any idea why Boston versus D.C., it's it's different experiences from a retail perspective?
1: You know, I think our customer base is strong in D.C. There are a lot of really conservative jobs there. There's government, there's lawyers, and I think the shopping is a little weaker there. We don't see that conservative, conservative office as much in Boston. That doesn't mean it wasn't successful and it wasn't a great opportunity, but it just wasn't the – Home run that we had in D.C.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, we've heard this a few times now. F- brands that have uh, limited brick and mortar and have done pop-ups, the lift that they see in the geography where they have the pop-up, you know, m- double-digit percentage increases yeah. in sales. Yeah. So there is this logic behind. Uh, even for direct consumer brands and e-com or digital focused brands that the brick and mortar is supportive of. there's a multiplier effect so Absolutely. it's great great to see that Absolutely. that's consistent with your brand as well what so what are the goals for uh, more locations is is are there is it there... yeah
1: yeah i think we're we're focused on testing the cities that do best online so cities that are kind of in our sites are Dallas, Chicago, going back to DC. We actually do surprisingly well in LA. Denver is growing really quickly for us, so we are um, always exploring opportunities there. And you know, as you know, retail is a big investment, so we just want to be really smart about how we do it.
3: So, one of the traditions we have on the show, and this one, I always say this, and and it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited about what what I'm what's going on here. I see a very New York brand italian pastry brand veneros on first avenue Mm
1: -hmm. i'm glad you Uh, know it so
3: uh, i'm very excited established uh, as it says on the bag 1894 so i'm really excited to see what's in that box yes and it is the feast of san janeiro now in new york so it it almost seems really appropriate and
1: it is today it is their 125th anniversary
3: Perfect. So I'm home. dreaming
1: of cannolis. I see it in the picture. Well, good thing that's what you want because that is what's in here.
3: <laughs> uh, that's what I was hoping.
1: They open it. Are answer. we ready to go? I grew up in New York, New York City. I, I grew up in New York City. I grew up with an Italian family. Wait, oh you ahead. said
3: you grew up with an Italian family. Does that mean you grew up Italian?
1: No, no. I grew up in New York. I my my on both sides of my family. On both sides of my family, I have Italian grandmothers. Okay. And my grandmother on my dad's side lives in Brooklyn. She was an amazing chef. You know, I say she an amazing wow. chef, but she mostly was amazing at meatballs. Um, yeah. And she couldn't bake. So she knew all the best places to get cannolis and rainbow cookies. So this is one of my favorites. We also shout out to Michael's in Brooklyn, second favorite.
3: Michael's is where? Bensonhurst?
1: It's like kind of near Sheep's Head Bay. Okay. So
3: it's a marine park.
0: Okay. oh,
1: Which is where my dad grew up.
0: I grew up in Bensonhurst, actually. There you go.
1: Did you have a favorite
0: cannoli place?
1: Well, we had the
0: Rainbow Cookies was from Spumoni. Okay. And the cannolis, I can't even remember now. It was on 18th Avenue, though.
3: So...
1: Yes, and the fact that it was the Oh, hundred- it was Rispoli, sorry. It was oh, on Newtrecht. Yeah. On their 125th anniversary, <sighs> oh, it felt appropriate to bring to bring these. And
3: pistachios Wow. wow.
1: Though that so on my mom's side, they were they're amazing bakers up there. We make everything from scratch and if they listen to this, they will be offended that I didn't fill the shells immediately before walking in. Wow. So these have been sitting here for about, you know, an hour. Which is totally unacceptable. So I I do hope you'll forgive me for that. Uh, I know my great aunts will not.
0: So That's great. Thank you.
3: Up next, we'll talk to Dory about what it really means for a business to be made in New York.
0: Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found.
3: So, Dora, you've proved your New Yorkness with cannolis from Veneros yes. on there. What was it? 120? What, what was it? Today's
1: their 125th anniversary.
3: That wow. is amazing. Yep. During,
1: Love old school New York uh, places like that.
3: It's great. It's, it, and, and there are still a few of those around. And we were commenting on the fact that you need to fill the cannoli at the time of eating or else they get a little soggy. But these yeah. are still amazing filling, I think here is the best. Absolutely. 100%. So New York, I'm guessing that the name of the brand is a reference to New York, perhaps the street in Soho, but I'm just assuming there. Is there a connection? And what does it really mean to be a New York brand? Is that just marketing? Or is that is that for reals?
1: It's for reals. (laughs) The name of Mercer actually came from um, an old English word, which meant textile distributor. So we were kind of in the heyday of the direct-to-consumer movement when we launched and really wanted to focus on being, you know, the distributors of these great textiles. But as you know, we are made in New York. We are based in New York. um, And there are a few wine bars on Mercer Street that we are huge fans of. So It definitely is a reference to New York. If you look at our website, most of our products are named after neighborhoods or streets or avenues in New York. Um, I'm currently wearing the Clinton dress. And we have a few from other cities now that we've branched out. My favorite is the DuPont dress. But when we started, the Made in New York thing was, was actually a business strategy. It was we were really trying to test products and really understand what our consumer wanted to see was how long was the dress? Was it 36 inches? Was it 38 inches? Was it 41 inches? And we couldn't wait six months to get product to test that. We wanted to do really small runs. We wanted to see what colors people wanted. We wanted to see how far they would go in the office. And we could do that here in New York. We can do a production run in two weeks if we have the fabric here. And that really afforded us the ability to, in a lean way, test products really fast.
3: Does that create challenges, though? I mean, the, there's plenty of brands out there who are not, perhaps, spending the money or putting the effort behind uh, actually making their 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 clothes, whatever product they're they're supporting in this city. It can be quite cost prohibitive at times.
1: Yes, but our I, our margins are seventy percent now, so we are we're effectively using our supply chain. We're still getting fabrics from not the U.S., so we're not you know, totally American made. Um, We get fabrics mostly from Japan, some from other parts of Europe, Italy. Um, We have a great fabric from Australia, actually. But at the beginning and still today, we have someone in the factory every day checking on production, making sure the stitches are exactly as we want them. We do specs on them before we finish the production run to make sure they're fitting exactly as the same the last run did. Uh, We want Total consistency with how everything is is fitting. And I I don't know about you, but I've ordered the same size jeans in the same purchase from places, and they fit totally differently. And that, to me, is unacceptable. It doesn't mean everything has to be flattering on every person, but there needs to be
3: consistency and if you
1: buy one dress and you want it in another color six months later, it should be pretty much identical.
3: Well, plus, I, I think you're honoring the spirit of what makes New York or, or did make New York, New York, which is the the craftsmanship of Absolutely. things that were made here and only made here.
1: Yep. We have we work with five different factories, and the smallest one only produces us and one other brand. And the largest one produces huge brands that you've heard of. So it's a really wide range. But the smallest ones, they're family-owned. They've been family-owned for years uh, we know their kids. We buy them graduation presents. It's it's a really nice part of our business because they're just an extension of who we are. And we're on the same team. So when we go in and say, here's a new style, let's talk about cut and sew price. If it's too high, we can have a conversation and say, how do we get this down? Because they want us to succeed, so they continue to succeed, and we continue to grow. So it's it's mutually beneficial for us to have this face-to-face, really strong
0: relationship. That sounds like a lot of factories. Actually, five is is that knitwear also included in that? We do cut and sew knit, so okay. not not traditional
1: mm-hmm. knit. I, three of the factories do ninety percent of our stuff. Okay, um, the other two are either special. One's kind of specialized in something, and the other one is, I'd say, kind of a backup at this point. Depending on what kind of production we have going on, we like to spread it out so it's everything is churning.
0: I think, you know, people have to realize that it's you have so much more control this way. And actually, for many people are making in China. The labor prices in New York are not that different at this point.
1: Definitely not. And now that taxes are, you know, up in the air, it's not something that we have to face or we have to pass through the extra costs to our customers. Right. It's kind of staying the same for us.
3: So we touched a little bit about marketing and marketing this brand that is New York based and and made in New York. How does, how does that carry through? What type of marketing are you doing? What's really effective? What are the surprises that you found there?
1: Yeah. So we, I mean, we've tested everything. I think back to being data centric, we kind of want to know what's going to work. We've found that our customers and our women are our biggest ambassadors the majority of our customers come to us through word of mouth and we found a really effective marketing tool by we call it women of mercer so we find our women and we get to know them we interview them we take photos of them and then they become advocates for our brand in their in their place of work or their place of influence so they're not quote-unquote influencers but they are so they are mds at banks or their coos at startups And they're pumped to be featured and they're pumped to share the brand with other people.
3: Have you tried the, I can't believe I'm going to say these words together, the traditional influencer uh, uh. (laughs) route?
1: The traditional influencer. Yes, we have. And we have found it not super effective. And this goes back to for me to really getting women in the right mindset. So I don't know about about you. But when I'm scrolling on Instagram, it's because I'm watching TV and I'm just kind of scrolling. And rarely would I stop and be like, shoot, I really need a nice work dress. You know, I'm I'm not intrigued by that in that mindset. And I don't think our customers are necessarily the ones who are sitting there following fashion bloggers.
3: Do you think that's the product that you sell? Or do you think it's just that influencers are the concept is overhypes for fashion in general, or do you just think it's the the, the lane that you're in?
1: I think influencers can be really effective. I don't think our lane is at all the right one. I don't think there are many fashion bloggers who are really, who have the eyes and ears of like the New York lawyer and banker. I think influencers can be really effective in places like beauty where it's, you can't really see what you're getting and you need an expert to talk about it. I also think it's the medium. Like, I don't think that Instagram is the place where people are searching for for us
3: as a brand necessarily. Would LinkedIn be an option then? I mean, like, I'm almost saying that might be crazy to think. When we look
1: at what has been effective that hasn't been word of mouth, it's when we're featured in articles that are in business publications. So it's, you know, we've been in InStyle and Us Weekly and People, and those don't translate for us. What translates is when there's a mention in Fortune or Inc. or Business Insider or Forbes because they are sitting at the office reading Forbes thinking about work clothes.
0: I think, though, when brands are doing ads and they really showcase the product, it, it makes a difference. You know, it's not it, – there's no noise of a person wearing it or doing an activity. Are you are you thinking of that?
1: Yes, yes. We, we just tend – we don't do advertising. Mm-hmm. That's not something we spend money on um, because we have found it effective to – to grow other ways. Right. I think you're right though. I think with targeting too, you can really hone in on the right customer. The other thing with influencers is kind of what you were saying is they're they're not necessarily representing the brand because they pick the most fashion forward, the least office appropriate and then they wear it and then everyone thinks that's what everything's going to look like on the website and then they're a little bit bummed to find the black tweed blazer.
0: Right. Not like a funky mod short dress. So I think we made a brief mention, you made a brief mention before to Rent the Runway Mm -hmm. um, and also a subscription business, Mm -hmm. Stitch Fix. Like, How is that working for you and what were you surprised by?
1: They're working really well. They're great partners to us and we're really excited to be partnering with them. I think the way people consume apparel is changing. I think especially in the rental space, people are thinking about clothes as – Temporary and seasonal, and not something they invest in. And from an eco perspective, I'm really behind that. I think it's really exciting. I have so brought so many clothes to goodwill that I've worn once or twice, and I don't think it's in anyone or the earth's interest to keep doing that. What's been exciting for us on rent the runway is the discovery of it. So women who have never heard of our brand, Coming across it, so they search for a work dress. So this is mostly people who actually do the unlimited. So it's not, it's not women who are renting on a one-off cost. They're not spending thirty-nine dollars to rent a dress once. They have an, you know a hundred-dollar subscription to rent four things at any time. So they're really looking to fill their weekdays with these clothes. Um, so we found really great discovery where women are saying like, okay, I need a dress that is navy and good for work. And then we're showing up next to brands they know, like Theory or Vince. Um, And it's great discovery for us. We've definitely had customers say, I found you on Run the Runway. I love my dress. I came here to buy every other one. And the other thing that we're doing that's exciting and kind of is fun for our creative juices is we do things that are a little bit more out there for them. So we'll do exclusives. For example, we just put out this lime – for summer, we put out this lime green dress in one of our most classic bodies, and it did so well because women wanted to wear it once or twice and not invest in it. But then they try it on, they love it, and they say, I probably should buy this in, you know, Bordeaux. So then they come to us and buy it. So does Rent
0: the Runway give you feedback, and do you get that customer
1: Yep, yep. So we see – we get all the feedback. Rent the Runway is – All their reviews are public, too, so you can kind of see what people are saying. And then Stitch Fix also gives us kind of all the data that that we want because, again, everyone wants the clothes to be successful. So if we tweak them, if we do customizations, if we do unique colorways or patterns, based on the feedback, it it works for everybody.
0: So there are companies now where there is a company who will set up. Rental for you, mm-hmm. all of the logistics and they're doing it Bloomingdale's is about to do it. I think Nordstrom and Taylor's already doing it Vince yeah. is Castle. that something what do you think about that?
1: you know i I think I think it's not right for us to do that. I think it works really well if you have. A wide range of product that serves a wide range of needs. So I understand Bloomingdale's doing that. I think it works the same way that Rent the Runway does, which is you can rent your your work clothes or you can rent your caftan for your beach vacation or your bridesmaid dress for your wedding. I think it, you really need to have kind of a wide range of merchandise to pick from. And again, we we value the the discovery of our brand on on Rent the Runway. Because it's people who've never heard of us, perhaps, or people who have never tried us, and it's a low risk opportunity for for everybody to to give it a go.
3: So, in terms of that, I mean, you said you're multiple times you're a data driven company, and I could definitely sense talking to you that that's that's part of the DNA of the company. How do you do that when you have, you know, word of mouth marketing hard to quantify? Now you have third parties supporting you and. Driving awareness for the brand, like mm-hmm. how do you how do you wrestle with that? Is it still a challenge? Have you cracked that nut? Figured it out somehow? Divined it?
1: I think it's a, I think it's a balance of everything, really. I think in terms of word of mouth, we just constantly want to give our customers things that they can talk about or they can share. So whether it's content on our website or a woman of Mercer we're, we're featuring, we want to give them that collateral that when they want to talk about it, they can, and it's not salesy. I think we can see pretty clear upticks when different products go on sale on rent the runway or with other partners a lot of times people are very forthcoming about where they find out about us we have an exit survey when you check out online where people self report where they found out about us so we get a lot of information that way and again people people have a, will tell us everything they can say where they found us and why they came to us and specifically the their friend just in case we can give a reward or something like that.
3: And and what I, I think Kathy had asked about surprises, what has surprised you with that feedback? Like what what was the most surprising feedback you got that actually changed your strategy or, or pieces of, of feedback that you gotten?
1: I mean, one thing that we we got from customers a little bit, and then we, we took action on it at a, at a selfish time for me, was maternity, which is, We found that we were losing our customers when they got pregnant and then we weren't necessarily getting them back when she was going back to work. So we found there's this transition and I've been pregnant before. It takes a long time to go from one and from your original body back to your original body if you ever do. And we wanted to support women through that entire transition. So we launched a maternity collection that is meant to take you from the day you find out you're pregnant until you're done nursing um, and really support women in the workplace that way, because it it's tricky. And we were losing her emotionally
3: during that time. That's great. That's actually great feedback. I'm sure I'm, I have three kids, so I've, I've dealt with that on yeah. the flip side.
1: Yeah, it was. It, we launched it while I was pregnant because it was selfish, but it was also fun to go out and talk about it and be like, look, guys, I'm actually wearing it and I actually feel really good in it.
3: So we talked a little bit about your centers of influence, and and I'm curious as as you try and expand that, what are the challenges of that, and and how do you do it, considering that you you know are dealing with different women in different industries and in different geographies?
1: That's a great question, and it it takes time. I I think one of the things that we have going for us is now kind of this women nominating other women situation. But I'll be honest, it's very New York centric at the moment because we feature women who are based here because we're based here and our photo shoots are often here. And then it's kind of self-perpetuating that we have a really strong center of influence in all these different places in New York. But then we think about other markets that are important to our e-com business and we don't have that. And it's one of those things that it takes a concerted effort and it takes time to really build that up in different markets. Um, So when we do pop ups, we do try to kind of build up local relationships whether it's universities or graduate schools the junior league the you know the the women we meet at soul cycle
3: i um, imagine the wing or exactly someplace like a so working space it's uh
1: you know i find networking one of those things that it kind of feels a little bit inauthentic at the beginning but once we make those relationships in these new networks you can really kind of power through and meet more people and then again it, it, it becomes a really fast moving process as soon as we get women on board um, but it takes time and it takes investment and it takes you know bodies on the ground we need to be in dc or in boston or in dallas to have these conversations and really truly
3: introduce women to the brand coming up we'll get personal with dory
2: entreprenista a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the entrepreneista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com.
0: Okay, Jory. So when you're not working, Mm -hmm. what are you wearing? And are you finding yourself to like influence another segment of the business you might want to go into?
1: I either am wearing of Mercer, kind of like our more casual pieces, or I'm wearing workout clothes. And we're not going into (laughs) athleisure. I can promise you that.
3: That felt like a natural. I don't know. That, that's what I, I I actually see women wrestling with is is the athleisure component of work. It's weird. I've seen it more creeping in, and I think for guys too, there's this creeping in of athleisure into work. And I just it's not that I'm struggling with it because it makes sense, but. You know, there's companies like Roan and 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 similar on on the women's side that I, I just go. Oh, I think I don't
0: anything. know if anybody's really doing athleisure. You know, like that should be somewhere in the middle, and I don't think we're in the yeah, middle yet. It's like yet. work. You know, like is it laser cut garments mm-hmm. or something that is not quite dressed but not quite down casual? I I think we're just not there yet.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, what we do is we use those types of fabric in silhouettes that don't look like athleisure so we have this pair of pants they're called the essex pants and they i could do a full yoga class in them but they have a zipper and they have a belt loop so it looks totally like a pant just doesn't feel like it hmm. but that's as far as we're going
3: yeah all right you mentioned scrolling through your instagram while watching tv what are you watching on tv right now oh what do you binge watching on
1: so TV? i have some bad bad tv habits but that's exactly what i want to um i watch the bachelor
3: Okay.
1: Um, Bachelor in Paradise, all versions of The Bachelor. Um, I just watched Chernobyl, which was a bit depressing, obviously.
3: Those, those two series have never been mentioned. Together, I know. I, I mean,
1: I think I just need that. And one needs to balance out the other one. I like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. What else do I watch? I, I mean, I, my really actually more embarrassing, I think, than, than Bachelor is I still watch Grey's Anatomy. Oh, wow. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only person. I, I don't know how it's still, still, the still air. on exactly. Everyone I know who watched it for the first six years, uh, but I, I just can't give up. You know, it's it all these funny. shows have jumped the shark so many times. I just stick with it. And boil.
3: It, it is kind of amazing that it is still on television. Yeah, I don't know how Grey's Anatomy of all things survived.
1: I don't. Me, I did it. Friends has. Survived.
3: Yeah, it's just. Yeah, well, Friends is back.
1: Yeah, it's
0: back.
3: Friends is back. All all my kids. And they're tweens. They watch Friends in the Office. It's I don't crazy. quite understand how those two shows made it through to that generation. You also mentioned before we got on air that you watched or or a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles, which I, I'm 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 really struggling with here. How can you be a New Yorker? I know. I know. Why?
1: I, I'm just gonna start by saying I I love the Yankees. Okay, good, <laughs> so, good. So right. true New Yorker here it It's a family thing, and again, my whole family's from New York. My dad grew up in Brooklyn, my mom grew up upstate, and I have a younger brother who has, is an avid sports fan, and he was probably three and decided he liked the Eagles. and this was when the Eagles maybe won a game a season. They were horrific, and it became this thing where everyone was just so supportive of him. Liking the Eagles, then they got good, and they got bad, and then they got good, and it's been exciting. And I um I didn't go to undergrad there, but I went to grad school at at Penn, and we love Philly, and it's a really close train ride, so we're we're season ticket holders. We go down every weekend.
3: All right, usually it's you know Yankees, you know Yankees, Rangers, Knicks,
1: so all those Giants, you know. No. All but the yes. last. Yeah, huge Knicks fan. Grew up going to the Knicks games all the time. I had a Patrick Ewing poster on my wall until I went to college. Actually, in college, I think I kept it. But yeah, the football piece is
2: the missing the missing piece. Um, I think. I mean, this has been a great
1: conversation, and it's allowed me to really kind of reflect on how we think about our brand and how we think about how women connect to our brand. And, you know, I think it's really exciting in, in this day and age for women and men to feel really connected to the brands that they to they, they spend their money with. You know, it's hard to earn money and they are choosing to shop with us. And I think it's exciting that we've kind of hit this note of understanding what it's like to be a working woman today
3: in today's world. If someone wanted to get in touch with you or or at of Mercer, how would they do that?
1: Yeah. Well, you can follow us at of Mercer. My email is Mercer.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to nominate a woman of Mercer to, for us to feature, we'd love that. You can email me or info at of Mercer.
3: Awesome. Thank That's you, Dory. Thank you for having me. Thank thanks you. Thanks for your time. And thanks, Kathy. Thanks yeah, for, thank for you. stepping in. Appreciate Happy. it. This is Chris Hansen. And thank you for joining us. See you next time.
0: This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.